God gave authority over this earth to people that have physical bodies. Satan didn't have a physical body, so he couldn't come and just steamroll people and take the uh, control of this world. That's the reason that in Genesis chapter 3, he had to enter into a snake and he came and he enticed them. He entered into the most subtle animal, not the biggest, strongest animal, not the most intimidating animal, but the most cunning animal, the most sly and deceptive animal. He entered into the snake and tempted Adam and Eve. He had no power to force them to do anything. And what I want to do tonight is to amplify on this and to make an application of this to your life. And if you can understand what I'm talking about, this will revolutionize the way you relate to God. This is a concept that most people don't have. And I tell you, it'll make a huge, huge difference. Let me go back and just reference a couple of things I said this morning. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, the Lord said, Let us make man in our own image. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over all of these things. And he said, let them have dominion. Then in verse 28, he again emphasized, you have dominion and do this. God releases his power. You know, I'm not, I'm saying some things very quickly, but this is really important what I'm saying. These are absolutes about God that most people don't understand. And people just skip over this. It's important that you get this, but I haven't got time to expand on it probably the way I should. But when God created the heavens and the earth, we use analogies and say he reached down with his hand and scooped up this and did this. In reality, he spoke everything into existence. God said, let there be light. God said, let the earth bring forth. God said, let us create man. God created everything that he does Through words. Words are the creative force that created everything natural. Words are the parent force. And everything created responds to the creator through words. That is powerful. That went right over a lot of people's heads. Because to most of us, words don't mean very much. You hear so many words and... Man... One time I was saying something to my kids and I, I was reproving them for lying. And I said, you know where liars go? And they said, to the White House. <laughs> they actually did that. That's a shame, but there's more truth to that than you'd like to admit. <laughs> and, and to, you know, words just don't mean a lot to a lot of people. And they just, it depends on what the definition of is is. <laughs> Things like that. So we have had our hearts deadened and blunted towards the importance of words. But man, God never violates a word. He created this world by words. And Psalms chapter 89 verse 34 says, My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has gone forth out of my lips. When God says something, it's covenant. It's a bond to him. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says that he upholds all things by the word of his power. If he ever broke his word, the universe would self-destruct because it was created by words and it is held together by words. So God never violates words. And when he said, you have dominion, God gave the control of this earth to men. And even though he never intended for us to yield it to the devil... He wouldn't come down and just say, whoops, King's X, time's out. That's not what I intended. I take this power back. No, he didn't put any qualifications on it. He didn't say, as long as you do what I tell you to do, you can have dominion on this earth. No, he gave mankind dominion without any qualifications whatsoever. Now that is significant. And here, there's many things. This is a truth that if you were to meditate on that, it would, under, it would change your understanding in a lot of areas. But here's, here's the application that I'm wanting to make tonight. It's, Jesus revealed this to us when he was here on the earth. He said in John 4, 24, he says, God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit and he gave control of this earth to human beings. People with physical bodies. Now, in a sense, what this did was take God out of the loop. God is a spirit. And as a spirit, he did not have the authority 
to come down here and intervene in the affairs of men. Now see, this is a new wrinkle in some people's brains. Because again, most people just think, now wait a minute, God does whatever He wants to. That is not true. If God did whatever He wanted to, every one of you in here would be absolutely, perfectly well. We saw that through Jesus. Jesus went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. You know, we've seen some great healings happen and I praise God for it. We're getting stronger. We're seeing more and more and more happen. But you know, we haven't seen every single person healed. If things aren't working as well as they should, and you know why? Because God isn't doing it directly. He has to flow through people. And we are the only dirt He has available to work through. I have to tell people all of the time that if Jesus was ministering directly to you, He would do better than I'm doing. I'm better than I used to be. I'm not condemned and I'm not discouraged, but I'm also not deceived into thinking I'm manifesting everything perfectly the way I should. I haven't arrived, but I've left. But see, God doesn't have freedom to just move in your life. This is a mistake that people make. They think if God wanted to, God could just heal my daughter. He could heal this child. He could do this if he wanted to. That's not true. God gave you authority in this earth. And God himself is a spirit and God cannot operate independent of people. He gave people authority over this earth. Some of you just, this isn't going to mean what to you what it should, but that is a truth that if you could understand that, it would answer a lot of things. People who teach that God just sovereignly controls everything and nothing happens without His control. What a terrible doctrine. In my estimation, it's the worst doctrine in the body of Christ for crediting God with the murder and the mayhem and the lying and the stealing and the oppression and the terrible things that have happened. There's all kinds of things that happen that are not God's will. It says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. That's as clear as you can make it. It's not God's will for a single person to die and go to hell, and yet they do it all of the time. Jesus even prophesied there would be more entered by the broad gate unto destruction than there is by the narrow gate unto eternal life. God's will is not coming to pass automatically. And you know why? Because God is a spirit and he has to flow through people. Satan is a spirit. Satan can only do something as you cooperate with him. You are the establishing force. You have Satan drawing on you and tempting you, but you also have God flowing, and it just depends on your choices. If you make the right choices, you can loose God into your life. You can see great things happen, or you make the wrong choices, you can loose the devil into your life. And then you can sit there and blame the devil and say, look what the devil has done. But you're the one that gave him all of the ammunition that he's been using. You've loaded his gun. You pointed it for him. He may have pulled the trigger, but you've given him every bit of ammunition that he's used against you. It's quiet in this Presbyterian church. So God is a spirit and he turned control of this earth over to physical human beings. And now that man yielded to the devil and made Satan the God of this world, how did God, how could God fix things? You know, this is something I found out that a lot of people don't think this way, but I've always thought, I remember as a small kid thinking, God, why did you have to become, why did you have to send Jesus? Couldn't, isn't there some other way you could have forgiven man? Why did you have to send Jesus? Why did you wait 4,000 years after the fall of Adam and Eve? What about all of those people that lived during those 4,000 years that suffered because the atonement hadn't been made and there wasn't the way unto God that we have today? I don't know if you ever ask questions like that, but it would help if you'd use your brain when you read the Bible. <laughs> ask a question. Why did he come 4,000 years later? You know what it's all wrapped up in is the authority that God gave man. How did he create the first man? God said, let us make man. And he created him by speaking words. But that's when he had absolute control and authority. After he delegated the controller, the authority over the earth to mankind, God didn't have the right to create Jesus. He didn't have the authority. He had turned the authority to rule this earth over to physical beings. And so how did he get Jesus here? 
He had to speak him into existence, but the problem was he was no longer the only person that was in control. He had delegated authority to mankind. A physical human being had to speak these things. And this is the reason it took 4,000 years. Nobody was in tune enough with God to say everything that needed to be said. For instance, it needed to be said that behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a child. Isaiah said that in the seventh chapter of Isaiah. You know what? I bet you that God tried to get a lot of people to say that. And yet there's a lot of preachers, prophets that were thinking a virgin's going to conceive. This must be my pizza. That, That couldn't be God. There's a lot of people that probably thought this. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going on the record. What if I was to stand up here tonight and say, there's going to be a virgin that can see. There was only one virgin birth and man, there's not going to be another one. You know what? It took a lot of faith for Isaiah to say a virgin shall conceive and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Those are amazing things to say. But as strong as that was, that wasn't everything. And later, Malachi had to come along and say that he'll be born in Bethlehem. And there was other things that needed to be prophesied. And and so God had to spend 4,000 years looking and getting one person to say this and to say that and put all of these things together and speak forth all of these words. And then look over in uh, Luke chapter 1 at when the angel appeared unto Mary in Luke chapter 1. Beginning with verse 26, it says, And in the sixth month, that's talking about the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy after John the Baptist had been supernaturally prophesied that he was going to be born. In the sixth month after Gabriel appeared unto Zacharias and announced the birth of John the Baptist, Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. You know, this shows you how fallen people were. Because here's God, an angel of God, a messenger of God coming and saying, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. That's a wonderful things to say. That ought to be a blessing. And yet she was troubled and cast in her mind, what kind of greeting is this? You know, I'm sure that if he would have shown up and he said, you sorry thing, you are a stinking nostril of God. You're a worm. She would have said, it's God. But God shows up and says, Hell, you're a highly favored. God loves you. And we think, oh, this is probably the devil. That's how religion has messed things up. So that if it's good, this must be the devil. If it's, if it's somebody criticizing me and telling me how sorry I am, that sounds like God. I have people that have come to my meetings before and said, I just don't feel like I've been to church unless you step all over my church, uh, toes and I just walk out of here just broken in heart, you know, cast down. Well, you're religious. Man, it's supposed to be good news, not bad news. Nearly too good to be true news. If you're going to some place that you feel worse after you go in than than when you first went in, something's wrong. It's not the gospel. It ought to build you up. It ought to encourage you. Amen. And so the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. In that 37th verse, some of the translations render that for no word of God is without power of fulfillment. 
And so here's what happened. God created the first Adam by speaking him into existence. Let us make man. Now, after he had turned the control of this earth over, he couldn't just speak the second Adam into existence. And yet, how did he do it? He had to find men over thousands of years that spoke forth what they could receive, their part of it, and they spoke a little bit here and a little bit there. And finally, after all of these words had been spoken, the scripture says, when the fullness of times was come. In other words, there is a reason why Jesus came at the time he came. He came as soon as things were prepared. As soon as God was able to get these words into people and and he would speak to people's hearts and by faith they would say out of their mouth, a physical person who now had the control over this earth, they would speak words. Deuteronomy chapter, I mean not Deuteronomy, uh, Psalms 18, 20 and 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. They that love it will eat the fruit thereof. People who had authority in this earth would speak with their mouth and release the life that was necessary to create this life of Jesus. So they spoke all of these bits and pieces. Uh, Gabriel gathered them all up and brought these words that had been spoken over the centuries and came to Mary and said, you're going to conceive. The Holy Ghost is going to come upon you because no word that God has spoken through all of these people is without power of fulfillment. With God, nothing is impossible. And how did Mary respond? She said, Behold, the handmaiden of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. You know what she did? She humbled herself and received the word. And then the Holy Spirit came upon her and everything about the birth of Jesus was 100% natural with one exception, and that is that a man didn't supply the seed. The word of God was the seed. This is exactly what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. It says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word of God that liveth and abideth forever. The word of God is a seed. And the Holy Spirit took these prophecies, the words that had been God-inspired throughout the centuries, And the Word was the seed that entered into Mary's womb. That was the only supernatural part of the birth of Jesus, was the conception. But then the rest of it, it was totally normal. She carried Jesus nine months, just like any woman would. Everything was totally normal. But the seed was the Word of God that entered into her. Man, I don't know if you get that. But that to me is just overwhelming that God Almighty was constrained by his own words that he had said. You have control. If it would have been us, when we saw man mess things up, we'd have just said, time out, I don't want this. We'd have started over. We'd have broken our word and thought we'd just do it different. No, God can't break his word. It's impossible for God to lie is what it says in Hebrews 6. He can't lie. God cannot just say, King's X, time's out, do over. He bound himself by his own word. God loves you. He doesn't want to see you suffer. He doesn't want to see you hurt. He doesn't want to see your family fall apart. He doesn't want to see people die. But he said, you resist the devil and he will flee from you. And you're dying and you're suffering and you're, God, why aren't you doing something? Because he's got integrity, because he's got justice and he gave you power and he told you to heal the sick you to cleanse the lepers, you to do this, and God will not, cannot violate his word. Even God himself was constrained by it. And he took 4,000 years before he could get enough people to respond and speak forth these words. Man, to me, that is awesome. And if God himself is constrained by that, and if that's the way that God operates, how in the world can I sit here and just say, God, if you really love me, you'd just heal me. No, there's laws. There's things that restrict how God operates. And most of them is us getting in the way and believing the wrong thing and saying the wrong thing. Man, that scripture I quoted, Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And we sit here and people say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm dying. Doctor says I'll be dead in a month. Man, I'm hurting. I got this problem. We speak all of this junk and then we go to God and we get upset. Why haven't you healed me? He said, death and life are in the power of your tongue. You're speaking death. You're killing yourself with your own words. You're hung by the tongue. And then you're upset with God as to why he hadn't done it. 
Everything's working exactly the way he said it would. Death and life. We just choose to speak the death instead of speak the life. And then we get upset with God as if he's the one that's unjust and didn't come through. God's not the one that's failed. It's us that's failed to renew our mind. We're ignorant. My people perish for a lack of knowledge is what the Lord said. And we are just ignorant. We're saying things. We're listening to death. We're listening to unbelief. Whether you know it or not, brothers and sisters, we live in a world of unbelief. We live in a culture of unbelief. Our world today, I believe, is much more full of unbelief and ungodliness than when Jesus came to this earth and Jesus had to deal with their ungodliness. We are baptized in unbelief. We are baptized in deception. There's terrible things going on in our world and most of us are plugged into it and pipe it into our home and watch it. And then we wonder, why, are th- why am I depressed? Something would be wrong with you if you aren't depressed looking at what's going on in this world. It's depressing. Amen. You have to make an effort to focus your attention on things that are honest and pure and lovely and of good report. I guarantee you, if you're just like your neighbor watching the same junk, if you're letting the sewage of the world flow through your home the same as your unsaved neighbor, don't be surprised if you get the same results as your unsaved neighbor. These are just laws. This is how the kingdom works. God gave us a choice and we're making wrong choices and then blaming it on God as to why things aren't working better. God himself responded to his own, his own laws. When he gave us authority, he didn't violate. And this is why Jesus had to become a man. Look at this over in John chapter 5. This is a powerful passage of scripture. Jesus is defending his authority. Of course, the scribes and Pharisees were saying, you don't have the right and the authority to be doing these things. And Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. Verily, verily. You know, every time the Lord said verily, verily, everything he said was true. But when he says, truly, truly, verily, verily, that's because he knew that this was going to be unbelievable. People were going to think, you couldn't mean this. And so he would just say, this is the truth. To emphasize it. So anytime he had to say this, you can just take this to the bank. This is absolutely true. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, how come I have authority? Because I am the Son of Man. The term son of man refers to his humanity side, his physical earthly body. The term son of God refers to his divinity. When it's mentioning Jesus as the son of God, that's divinity. And that's the reason the scribes and Pharisees says, this is blasphemy. We should kill him because he made himself the son of God. But when he said son of man, that's always referring to his physical body. And he said, here's the reason I have authority on this earth is because of this physical, tangible body. Jesus, God, had to become a man because man had blown things. And man couldn't fix things. And God couldn't fix them because he wasn't a man. He was a spirit. And only physical human beings could deal with the devil. If you remember the example that I used this morning... Satan didn't have the power to come and steal the control of the earth from us. He had to deceive us and we had to give it. And then one of the reasons that he came against man is because this power that God gave us, this authority was unconditional. And in a sense, Satan used us like a hostage. He had a gun to our head saying, God, they gave this control to me. They yielded of their own free will. If you try and get me, if you want to punish me, you've got to punish Adam and Eve because they were complicit. Compliant, or however you say that, that they agreed with me. They gave this to me willfully. So in a sense, man was a hostage. And because God loved mankind so much, he couldn't come down and punish Satan independent of man because man were also guilty. And because of his great love for us, the hostage, he didn't kill the bank robber. He allowed Satan 
to operate, not because he approved of what Satan was doing, but because he would have been unjust to judge Satan and not judge us at the same time. But when Jesus became a man, Jesus became one of the hostages. This totally changed the situation. Now God is in flesh and the devil had been hiding behind our flesh and using it as a shield against the wrath of God. Now God was in flesh and God not only had authority in heaven, but he had authority here on the earth. And man, Jesus took it to the devil. When Jesus became a man, the devil was hurting for certain. Amen. And Jesus took it to the devil and Satan was so stupid, he played right into the hands of God and killed Jesus and took his spirit down to hell. And when he did that, now God was in hell too, amen. And God just literally destroyed hell and came out of hell with the keys of death and of hell on his side. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and in earth is given unto me. Now, Satan has been destroyed. And then he turned around and he says, go ye therefore. It's implied that Jesus took this authority that he had gained in heaven and in earth and gave it back to us, the church. There's one significant difference between what we have and what Adam had. First of all, Adam didn't have authority in heaven. He only had authority in the earth. We have authority in heaven and earth and hell. But there's another significant difference, and that is that Adam had this by himself. He was the only possessor of it. He and Eve, mankind, had this authority given to them completely. Jesus said in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, this is through Uh, Paul, as he was writing, that we are joint heirs with Christ. We are heirs together and joint heirs. That means that this authority is now shared between Christ and his church. It's just like if you had a joint checking account. If, If you have a joint checking account, one person can't withdraw any money. It takes two signatures on there to get anything cashed. And you have to have both signatures. Well, in a joint heirship with Jesus, Jesus is never going to sign this over to the devil again. Jesus will never agree with your carnality and he will never give this over to the devil. So even if you yield to the devil, you might let the devil run your life and you might let him destroy you, but he'll never get this power and authority that Jesus won back because Jesus will never co-sign with you on any of that stuff. And therefore, you can ruin your life, but you aren't going to ever transfer any more power and authority back to the devil. He's beat. He's destroyed. And his only power is deception. And that's the reason that you know the truth and the truth sets you free. Once you learn the truth and learn that you're the one that has the power and authority, Satan has no power to do anything. Here's another application of all of these truths that I'm talking about. In the same way that God had to create the physical body of Jesus by speaking the word and then taking those words. And this is the reason that John is so powerful, if you understand this, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is exactly what happened. God spoke these words throughout eternity and then the Holy Spirit impregnated Mary with them and the Word literally took on flesh. Man, that's powerful. That's how Jesus came into this earth. God spoke words. He created it by His words. And did you know that every one of us receive a miracle the same way? God spoke words. There are words in this book that are promises of God. And I don't know if this is literally true or if this is just a symbolism, but in a sense, it's like every person, male and female in the body of Christ, you have a spiritual womb and you have to conceive a miracle. And you take the word of God and just as those words entered into Mary's womb and she conceived and then she gave birth nine months later, did you know that you need to take the word of God and put them in your heart and you conceive a miracle? Miracles don't just come. 
You know, I'm not going to teach a lot on this, but babies don't come by the stork. Amen. If you don't understand that, ask your mother or father. Amen. But that's not how babies come. You have to have a relationship. Most people understand this. Did you know that in the spiritual realm, we just pray and, oh God, heal me. And you just wait on God to do something. You're waiting on the stork. There's a lot of Christians that think that the stork brings miracles, that they just drop out of the sky. You just want me to wave my hand over you and you're going to be healed. And you don't understand that you have to conceive a miracle. A woman who wants a child and yet doesn't have a physical relationship with a man is not going to get pregnant. I don't care how much you pray. I've actually, I have, I've prayed with lots of people that they could have children. And one time I was praying with a woman and I just felt impressed to stop and ask her. I said, are you married? And she said, no. And man, I took my hands off of her real quick. I said, I'm not going to pray that you can have children. I said, there was only one virgin birth and you aren't going to be the second. Amen. I said, you know what? And you aren't supposed to do it outside of marriage. You're just silly if you're praying for a child and you aren't having a physical relationship. That's not how it works. There's laws. God said this is the way it works. And you aren't going to get pregnant by prayer. I pray with people that they can have children. I just prayed with a couple a week or two ago and I prayed with them and man, the power of God hit them and they said, we know that we've received. And I said, you know, this is only part of the miracle. Amen. <laughs> I said... You got a part to play in this. I said, go be a doer of the word. And the man said, I'll do it. Amen. You know what? You got to have a physical relationship. You don't get pregnant through prayer. Well, in the spiritual realm, people are just sitting here saying, oh God, please heal me. And you don't know what the word says. You're saying, well, I think that the Bible says somewhere. I'm not sure. If, doesn't it say something like by his stripes, we were healed or are, I don't know it. You know what? You aren't going to get pregnant that way. You got to have a little bit more intercourse, interaction with the word of God than that. You need to know that it's, well, it's somewhere in this book. No, you need to get that promise and meditate it until it comes on the inside of you and you get pregnant with it. The same, this is how Jesus was conceived. God took the word and implanted it in Mary and she conceived you need to take the word of God and get pregnant with it. And you know, just like a woman, when she first gets pregnant, she doesn't even know she's pregnant at first. She's pregnant, but she doesn't even realize it. Did you know what? You can take the word of God and start meditating on it and not even realize and think, well, this, you know, I don't know if this is doing any good or not. But if you're meditating in that word, I can guarantee you something's taking place. Something's happening. You may not know it, but it'll be just a short period of time. And then eventually the woman gets to where all of a sudden she realizes something's happening. And she realizes that she's pregnant. And yet she knows it, and yet nobody else knows it. It's not showing yet. It's not obvious. You can't just tell by looking at a woman who's just gotten pregnant that she's pregnant. She knows it, but nobody else knows it unless she tells them. Did you know it's the same thing? You take the Word of God and all of a sudden you know that something's happening. But nobody else can see it. They just think that you're crazy. But then you go through a period of time and after a while a woman gets to where everybody can tell she's pregnant. Everybody says, man, when are you due? It looks like you should have had this child a long time ago. And you know what? Eventually people will get to saying, boy, I can tell that you are just full of the word of God that you're going to see. And after a while, people get to seeing the power of God on you. And then there's this birth and people look at that and think, oh man, isn't that great? And they love the birth, but they don't want the conception and they don't want to carry it. You know, in a sense, this is what most of the body of Christ is doing. They don't know how to conceive a miracle. They are just wanting an adoption. They're wanting to come and have me give you the child that you're believing for. You're wanting me to produce the miracle. You're wanting me to wave my hand over you and pray and get this and that. And you haven't had any intercourse with the word. You don't know what the word says. You haven't taken the word and put it in your heart. You haven't meditated on it. You're just, in a sense, bootlegging the gospel off of a preacher. Brothers and sisters, this is not the way that God made the body of Christ operate. You can take the Word of God and plant it in your heart and conceive something. You know, many years ago, this was about 
1992 or 93, somewhere in there, the Lord was showing me that our ministry was dramatically changing and that we needed a huge increase. And finances were, of course, a big, big thing, a big part of it. And I knew that I needed a revelation in the area of finance. Now, Jamie and I personally were operating in prosperity and we've always been rabid, fanatical givers. But I had some problems with giving and, and especially receiving uh, money and taking offerings. I was embarrassed uh, as a preacher. I didn't want people to think I was after their money and things like this. So anyway, I had some bad attitudes and the Lord just showed me things needed to change. So you know what I did? I took about a hundred scriptures on prosperity and I put them on my computer and I just began to meditate on these scriptures and meditate on them. And I would read through those scriptures and say, God, I know that this is the word. The word is the power to change my life. And I just started meditating on those scriptures and meditating on them. And for two years I did this. And if you would have looked at me and have asked me, what have you gotten out of it? I couldn't have told you anything. I didn't get any brand new revelation. I didn't have anything dramatic happen. But I just believed that the word was changing me. And then Pastor Dean Melton right here on the front row. I go to his church every year for 22 years and I've seen him take people. I remember Terrence came out of the jail and had nothing. And Pastor Dean took him and took his money and wouldn't give him money if he hadn't been praying that day. He wouldn't give him any money to go eat. He wouldn't let him eat. He taught him how to use his money. And, and within a short period of time, Terrence was making like $10,000 a month or more. And miracles were happening. And I saw person after person after person in Pastor Dean's church prosper more than most people that I've ever seen. And Pastor Dean, his church does more than most churches. There are churches here in Atlanta, I bet you, that have 10, 20,000 people that don't do as much for missions as that church in Freedom Christian Center. And I saw things happen that I just said, I covet what this man has. And so I invited him to come to my Bible school. And I took a yellow legal pad and I said, I'm going to learn what this man knows. And I sat there for two days and he taught three hours a day for two days in our Bible school. I never wrote down a note. He didn't say one thing that I hadn't already known. But you know, the difference was he believed it. (laughs) And I didn't. I was embarrassed. I was apologetic about finances. And man, I mean... Something happened. Something got birth that day. I changed. And did you know prior to that time, we would go hold a meeting like this. And like, I'm not even sure what our expenses. Usually we run around twenty-five dollars or $30,000 to put on a meeting like this is what it cost us. Back then it was about $10,000. And that's for paying the airfare of the people that came, the musicians, the other speakers and stuff. And I would receive an offering and we would get $10,005. Or we would get $9,994. It would be within 5 or $10 of our expenses. And, of course, people would become partners with us. And over the long term, it was good. But, I mean, it was just barely break even. And after God spoke to me through Pastor Dean and I got this thing, I went out within the next week. I held a meeting in Phoenix, Arizona. Everything was exactly the same. I did an offering exactly the same as I did tonight. Everything was the same. And instead of getting 10000 we got $25,000, $40,000. And nothing changed except that, man, I had a revelation that was producing difference. And our ministry since then has never been behind. Our ministry has prospered. We are prospering. We have turned the biggest record income that we've ever had in the history of the ministry during this financial downtime. We are blessed and we are prospering. And people see that and they see the baby, they see the birth and they say, man, I want one of those. But are you going to take the word and for two years meditate on it and meditate on it and think on it and you can't see anything and it doesn't look like anything's happening, but you just keep in relationship with the word and you let the word germinate. See, everybody wants the birth. Everybody wants these results. Jamie and I have produced in our little bit. We don't have a lot of money, but we got some money in the stock market and we've produced 26% profit in the last three months while everybody else is losing 30%. We've increased 26%. Well, I want that. 
Have you taken the Word and meditated on it? And is God as your source? See, everybody's wanting the birth. Everybody's wanting the baby. But I don't want the relationship. I don't want to have to carry this thing for two years and meditate on it. Come on. Come on. That's wrong, brothers and sisters. This is a principle of God. Let me just... Don't forget where I am right here. I'm coming back to it. Here's a parenthesis. Somebody's saying, man, if that's the only way you could receive of God, I just don't believe that. No, God has created another way to receive. The other way to receive is you can receive off of someone else's faith or anointing. And the reason God did this, let's say, for instance, if the only way you could be healed is to take the word and meditate on it and let the word conceive and then you nurture that and grow and it takes a year or two years for you to overcome your fears and to give the birth to the physical healing. If that's the only way that you could get healed, what would happen to the person that comes up here tonight and only has a week to live? They would be destined to just die. And so God made another way to receive. And that is that he gave some people to the body of Christ who have the gift of miracles, the gift, the gifts of healings. And people like Benny Hinn and others have these supernatural gifts. And through them, people can come up that virtually have no faith. They have to have some faith, but relatively little faith and little effort. And they come up and they just, boom, receive a miracle. And those things do happen. And the reason God did that is as a stopgap measure to help those who are in a crisis situation and don't have the two years to be able to grow and mature and conceive the miracle and give birth to it. God has given you another method. But what's wrong is that the body of Christ thinks that's the only way you can receive from God. They just come and want somebody to pray over you and they're looking for a miracle to come. Those are relatively few. They're hard to come by. Miracles like that don't come. They don't work every time. You can't, I can't control miracles. I can control healings, but I can't control miracles. I can't just sit there and wave my hand and say that you're going to instantly see everything come to pass, but I can teach you how to take the Word of God and put it in your heart and meditate on it and let that faith produce and all things are possible to him that believes. I can get any person healed if you would take the Word of God and put it in your heart and meditate on it and, and work in it, but I can't guarantee that every person's going to receive a miracle. And this is the reason the body of Christ has only learned how to receive off of somebody else's gifting and anointing, which was intended to be a temporary help so that you don't die while you're taking the word of God and meditating and conceiving and building it up. And yet the body of Christ hasn't learned how to conceive a miracle. We just are going around chasing after people and waiting on people to lay hands on us. And even Catherine Kuhlman, I used to usher in her meetings and stuff like that. And Benny Hinn, both of them say that like 90 to 95% of all of the people who receive miracles in their meetings lose them. Matter of fact, I've had people come to my meetings that were healed at Benny Hinn's meeting and they lost it and came back. And I had to teach them how to take the word and now walk in it. Benny Hinn, he understands this to a degree. I don't know the person, but I mean, Benny Hinn refers people to our ministry. His ministry has people call us all of the time when they don't know how to walk in healing and we help them. Amen. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that gift. That's a wonderful gift. And if you, you know, if you are in a crisis situation and don't have time to take the word of God and mature and get it working, you need to go somebody with these special gifts, but don't substitute that for what God intended. You can adopt a baby, but that's not the way God created it to be, amen? You can go get a miracle from somebody else, but God, every one of you can conceive a miracle if you would just take these principles and take the Word of God and begin to meditate on it. If you've got a problem in your body, the Scripture says that God sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from all their destruction. Psalms 107 verse 20. The Word of God is health unto all your flesh and life unto them that find it. In Proverbs chapter 4 around verse 20 something. And, and God's Word is healing to you. You could take the Word of God, and I guarantee you, the Scripture says in Romans chapter 8, verse 6, to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. What is spiritually minded? John six sixty three. the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. 
God's Word is spiritually minded. Take the Word and meditate on it and all it can produce is life and peace. If you have something growing in your life other than life and peace, then you've had something other than the Word sown in your life. You know, I don't have to be with you when you plant your garden to see what you planted. All I got to do is be there when something starts sprouting. See what's growing in your garden and I can tell you. Are you making fun of me? (coughs) Sprouting. (coughs) When I see something growing in your garden, I can tell what you planted. Because you only reap what you sow. And you know what? I don't have to be with you. I don't have to follow you on. When you come up and start telling me about nothing's working for me and oh, I'm sick and I've got all this. And you you know what? I can tell you what you've been meditating on. I can tell you what you've been thinking. I can tell you what your belief systems are. Because you got fear and doubt and you're oppressed and you feel powerless. Those things don't just happen. They aren't just natural. It's not just human. You have to entertain that. You know what? You have to... You take a little kid, and did you know a little kid naturally will be optimistic and joyful and excited and happy? It takes a lot to beat people to a place where they're depressed and discouraged and fearful of everything. Those things don't happen accidentally. There's reasons why people are the way that they are. You've planted things or allowed Satan to plant. Most of it is not even... Obvious. It's not that you pursued sickness and disease, but you sit there in front of the TV that 99% of what they're doing is talking about sickness and disease and advertising stuff. And you just embrace it. And well, we're only human. We sing songs about, Lord, I'm only human. I'm just a man. I hate that song. I'm not only human. I'm not just a man. One third of me is wall to wall Holy Ghost. I got the power of God living on the inside of me. I am not just a human. Things that are incurable to men are not incurable to God. I'm not going to listen to that stuff. I'm not going to let those words come across my path. There's a reason why you're in the shape that you're in. You are letting the world plant seeds in you. Again, I go back to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 20 and 21. Let me go back and read that because I, I can't quote all of it exactly, but Proverbs 18, 20... You got that up there? It says, A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Notice the terminology. A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his lips and with the increase of his mouth. Those words are saying that every word that comes out of your mouth is like a seed. Every word is a seed. Not only every word of yours, but every word that you hear. Every song that you sing, they're spitting seeds into your heart. They're putting seeds into your life. Every time you sing about the Wichita lineman and you're moaning and groaning and falling off the bar stool and losing your dog and your pickup and everything else, you're sowing seeds. You're sowing seeds of depression that are going to come to pass. Every time you listen to some some of these things where they're talking about cop killers and all of the stuff that they do. They're sowing seeds of hatred and bitterness and anger in your life. Every time you watch something or hear something about adultery and, and lust and things like this and, and running off with somebody else, they're sowing seeds in you. And you wonder, why is it that I'm struggling with lust? You let the sewage of the world flow through you. They just sow these seeds in you and then I don't want this. Oh, God. You know what most Christians are doing? They have no accountability. They don't control themselves and their relationships. They just go out and let the world plant seeds in their life. And then they try and abort it before they have to act it out. Most Christians would reject this and say, you shouldn't use abortion as a form of birth control. And I agree. But you know what? Christians do it all the time. We let the, we let the devil just plant stuff. You watch stuff that if Jesus was sitting beside you in his physical body, he wouldn't be pleased with what you watch and the music that you sing and the stuff that you read. And yet you let this get planted on the inside of you, not making the connection that every word is going to produce increase, fruit, 
Death and life, the next verse, death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. Every word that you speak and every word that you hear is either life or death. Notice that there's not this great gray area in between. It's either life or death. It's either blessing or it's cursing. Every time you're just sitting here singing about something that you think is generic and it has nothing. If it's not ministering life, it's ministering death. Anything that's non-life is death. You are letting them plant seeds. So it's not all intentional. It's not that we go out and pursue sickness, but you just live in a culture where they talk about sickness, talk about death. They talk about failure. They talk about all of these things. Man, in our culture today, there are saying that this is a terrible time and all of this stuff, which is absolutely untrue. I don't know if you saw USA Today, but I looked at some of that today. And there's only 30... Did you know that there's 35 counties in the United States that the foreclosure uh, thing comprises 50% of all foreclosures in the United States are in 35 counties. And the vast majority are California and Florida where there was a boom that was not supposed to have been in the first place and it busted. And because of this, of course, the big AIG and these corporations that invested in these wrong deals, they are nationwide and they're getting people's attention. But you know what? It's not all over. It's not everywhere. But it's being misrepresented. They're, they're comparing this to the Great Depression. Man, have you ever read a history book? Have you ever seen what the Great Depression was like? Anybody who's comparing this to the Great Depression ought to be lynched. Amen. That's just stupid. Did you know in the Great Depression, you know what the mortgage foreclosure rate in the Great Depression was? 50%. You know what it is now? Four point something percent. And they are screaming to high heaven about how bad it is. And did you know that in January that the foreclosure rate actually improved? You aren't going to hear much of that stuff. But see, you're listening to all of these chicken littles talking about how bad everything is. And it depends on what you're talking about. You can find things that are bad, yes, but there's a lot of good things. It's not so bad. Did you know that in the Great Depression that the unemployment rate was 24.9%? And we are just screaming about we're coming to the end of the world because it's seven point something percent. Three times worse in the Great Depression. It's not even close. It's not even close. And yet, see, these words are being spoken. Seeds are being sown. And fear is coming into the heart of people. And people are drawing back. And fear is causing people to miss some great deals. Man, now is a great time. It's a great time to prosper. Most millionaires are made during downturns when other people are selling their assets for 10 cents on the dollar. This is a time to be buying. This is a time for believers to step up to the plate. And yet people are listening to unbelief and and thinking poor. And you can get as you think in your heart. That's the way you're going to be. Same thing is true in the area of healing. The same thing is true in finances, emotions, relationships, just everything. Brothers and sisters, there is so much unbelief being spoken and we are letting these words into our heart and then we try and abort all of it. I'm not going ha- to fail, but you listen to everybody else prophesy and speak failure. And it's all lies. Our news media is just flat lying about a lot of stuff. They are misrepresenting. I don't know if it's ignorance or if it's malicious. I consider it's both. But it's wrong. You know, in 2005, I was in Scotland when the bird flu hit, or the avian flu. It's called different things on different sides of the Atlantic. And I was watching television, and they interviewed a man who is the leading expert for the, B, for the British healthcare system. And they said, can this bird flu... Uh, mutate into a strand that could infect humans. And he said, there's no doubt that it can do it. It's going to happen. And they said, so are you predicting a pandemic, a worldwide epidemic? And he says, it's not a matter of if it will happen. It's just a matter of when it'll happen. 
He says it might be one year or two years at the most, but I can guarantee you one third of the world's population will die within two years from avian flu. That was in 2005, October. In 2007, two years after that, I read an article and there had been a total of 12 deaths worldwide from the avian flu. If some of you will remember, I bet you you heard about this. And over in England, they were killing the birds and burning them. And you could see the smoke rising from all over the countryside. Some of my friends had poultry farms. They were devastated and things like this. It caused an economic downturn. There was a lot of problems. And this expert prophesied that within two years, one third of the world's population would die. He was wrong. It was absolutely wrong. They ought to hold people like that accountable. They ought to prosecute them because you know what? It, it affected people. They lost their entire living. It caused tremendous damage. The same thing's happening after Hurricane Katrina. William Gray of the national something or another thing in Boulder, Colorado prophesied that the next year would be 30-something terrible hurricanes. This would be the worst season we've ever had. There was three named storms, one hit the United States and it had an insignificant impact. And some people say, well, you're just being cautious. <laughs> no, you know what it did? It spiked people's insurance rate, uh, devastation from uh, hurricanes and stuff. It became nearly impossible to get uh, insurance for that. And there's a lot of people that lost their homes that couldn't keep it and couldn't insure themselves. And there's devastation. It hurt people. It affected everybody's insurance rate. You know, that's how those insurance companies pay for these disasters. And they go by these predictions. And so they increased your insurance. And there's many of you that suffered money and stuff. I guarantee you that had a global impact. They ought to take this guy and hold him accountable for his predictions. You're hearing stuff like this every single day and they're speaking death and life and seeds are being sown in your heart and you don't even know what's happening. And most of us have so many more negative seeds sown than we have positive seeds. I'm telling you that you can take the word of God and get pregnant with it. You can meditate on this day and night. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then, when you meditate on it day and night, shall you make your way prosperous, and then shall you have good success. Everybody wants the prosperity and the good success, but they don't want to meditate on the word day and night. They just want to be carnal and watch as the stomach turns and sit on their couch and then go to a meeting and have somebody wave their hand over them and get, the, get an adoption. You don't want to give birth. You don't want to carry it. You just want somebody to give you what you want. That's wrong. If, you, if you're in a desperate situation, you know, go to somebody for help. But man, don't use that as a substitute for you. The Word of God was intended to literally impregnate you and let you bring forth the miracle that you deserve. And this is how Jesus came to this earth. God himself used this same principle. He spoke the word. He took those words and put them in Mary's womb. And the same way that the virgin birth happened is the same way that your miracle can happen. And you need to do the same thing that Mary did and humble yourself and say, so be it unto me according to your word. You know, there's people right here in this room that you are sick. You're struggling financially, emotionally. You're dealing with fear. You're dealing with all kinds of things, poverty. And you're just wishing and hoping and praying that God's going to do something. You could take the word. There is a promise in here, multiple promises for whatever your situation is. And you could take this word. And if you meditate in it day and night to observe and do what it says... Every one of you, every one of you could conceive. Every one of you could produce a miracle. You could reach a place that instead of going around constantly with your hands out begging somebody to pray for you and to help you, you could be the one who's mature and you could help other people who are struggling. You could be a part of the answer instead of a part of the problem. And I know some of you are offended by what I say. So you're criticizing me. No, I love you. I love you enough to tell you the truth. 
I'm lovey enough to tell you, you don't have to be a beggar. You don't have to stay in that depressed state. You don't have to always wonder why nothing ever works for you and it works for everybody else and you're just constantly having to beg other people to help you. You could be the one that's helping other people. You do not, do not have to stay poor physically or emotionally or, or um, in your body, in your health. The Word of God has given you everything. Everything you need is right here. And in a sense, I'm preaching to the choir because this is Friday night and you're listening to a preacher in a hotel. (laughs) You are the ones that have already, to some degree, seen this truth, and you are pursuing it more than others who are at home tonight watching somebody kill something or destroy something. And so you may be the cut above, but you know what? I bet you, even among the people that are right here, that there's so much that we just occupy ourselves with, we aren't taking the word. If what I'm saying is true, If these things that I've said tonight are true, then brothers and sisters, there's nobody in here that shouldn't have a path now to run on. You ought to be able to get from where you are to where you know God wants you to be. It may take time and some of them may say, oh, I don't like this. I came here, I gave you Friday night. I want to leave with my miracle right now. You know what? That's not how it works. That's not how babies come. You don't have a relationship and the next morning have your baby. You have to conceive. You have to carry it. You may not like the way this works, but it works. And if you aren't, if it's not working for you, it's because you aren't working it. This shouldn't discourage you. It ought to help you. And you know, the good news is that after you start sowing the word in your heart and you start conceiving, after a while you build up momentum. And it's like you're going a thousand miles an hour. And you know what? You just can't make a U-turn when you're going a thousand miles an hour. Man, you have to slow down. It takes a long time to slow down and to apply the brakes and turn around. There are some of you that are moving so slowly that if a pebble got in your way, you wouldn't have enough momentum to get over it. There's some of you that, you know, you get up in the morning and you don't want to turn against the Lord. You plan on going and on with the Lord, but you just pray that the right situation or the wrong situation doesn't happen because you aren't sure you're going to still be committed to God by nightfall. You know what? You aren't moving very fast, but you can get to where you build up momentum. You can get to where you take the word of God and sow it in your heart and you just literally cannot turn against the Lord. Now, I believe that eventually I could do anything that anybody else could do. But you know what? I can't do it tonight because I'm seeking the Lord. I'm, I'm meditating on the word and the word has affected my heart. And I don't, you couldn't make me commit adultery tonight. I don't care what situation you put me in. It can happen. I believe eventually if I was to quit seeking God and turn against God and not be in the word, and not pray and not do things, eventually I could do anything that anybody else could do, but I can't do it tonight. I can't get discouraged. I can't quit tonight. Some of you think, well, you can't do that. Well, don't wake me up. This is how I'm living. (laughs) Amen. When our son, when we were told that our son was dead, we started to have feelings of grief and sorrow like anybody would. But you know what? I just don't like that. I don't like being discouraged. I don't like being grieving. I don't like being sorry. I don't like it. So I determined I wasn't going to have it. And driving into town, I just started praising God. God, you're a good God. You didn't kill my son. I just started worshiping God and loving God and praising him. And man, the Lord quickened things to me. I started believing. And when we got into town, our son who had been dead for five hours was raised from the dead. And I'm convinced that a lot of it was because we refused to give in to that and we just started praising God. So you can't tell me that, well, you just haven't had something happen. Well, you know, my son died and that was good enough. That was bad enough that it should have depressed me and I refused to be depressed. And so you can do it. Amen. There's many of you that just are protecting your right to be defeated. And this really bothers you, what I say. Because I'm taking away excuses from you. 
Man, we, people today have become masters at coming up with excuses about why things aren't working for you. I'm telling you, ultimately, there could be multiple factors, but ultimately, it's your choices that make you bitter or better. You can come through anything. You have authority. God has set this kingdom up and he won't violate it. He doesn't come down here and just create his son. No, he he followed his own rules, his own instructions. He operated within this. God's not going to deviate from it. You can't deviate from it. You can't get a miracle just by wishing and hoping. You need to take the word of God and follow these things and take the authority and put it in your heart and meditate on it and speak it and act accordingly and praise God. The miracle power of God will work for you instead of against you. Isn't that good news? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, if you have never been born again, the first step in this, you've got to receive the truth that you are not a savior. You can't save yourself. It's like standing in the mud trying to clean your feet. You might get one clean, but then you got to put the other one back in the mud to clean the other one. And it's just, an, you can't save yourself. It's impossible to save yourself. You need a savior and you have to humble yourself and say, Father, I just receive it as a gift. If you've never received salvation, you need to receive it as a gift. And once you get born again, then you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes a lot of things, but it includes speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is just powerful. We've just seen some people close to us who received the baptism and they just transformed. For 40 years, we've been trying to get them to understand and believe. And man, they received the baptism and boom, they're brand new people. I'm telling you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues is one of the most important things that could ever happen. And being born again and the baptism of the Holy Spirit are absolute essentials for you conceiving and bringing forth a miracle. It's just necessary. If you don't have those two things, you need that. And the good news is you can receive that instantaneously. Amen. Is there anybody here tonight who would say, I need one or both of those. I'd like you to pray with me. And we'd like to pray with you. Somebody here, here's some. If you don't speak in tongues, if you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, 